Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, a place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all other people at the table. I'm your host, DM John, and we have a very special guest on with us today, Adam Carnavale, DM for Sans Pants Radio's D&D is for Nerds podcast. Today we're going to be talking about urban campaigns. But before we get started, I've got a couple of shout-outs. I've got two five-star reviews. The first one is by Himushin, and it reads, Inspirational Stuff. Finally getting around to doing the review rounds on the 50-some podcasts I listen to. But this one is really a diamond in the rough. The hosts of the DM's Block always have great guests and cover great topics that help me think about fantastic storytelling opportunities in my games. I'll be lucky to implement half of the stuff they've inspired me to feverishly jot down in a notebook while I'm at work. Check them out if you're at all interested in some solid DMing advice. Alright, our next five-star review comes to us from Be Born Bitter, and it's entitled, What I Didn't Know I Needed. How did I find myself here? I've never played D&D or any RPG. My only experience was looking through what I guess was a monster manual when I was in elementary school over 25 years ago. This should not be my most anticipated podcast, but it is. Every week, the DM's block sends my imagination off in fantastic directions. While driving or at work, I've created amazing characters and gone on countless quests all in my mind. Thanks for helping me lift those mental weights. My mental muscles are absolutely shredded like all sinewy with cool mental veins all over them. Oh yeah. Thanks, B-Born Bitter. And now, we're gonna head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The plate meat's back on the menu, boys. So welcome, Blockheads, to this episode's Meet. Today we have a very special guest with us, Adam Carnavale. He's the DM for the Sans Pants Radio. D&D is for Nerds podcast. Adam, why don't you say hello to everybody? Hello, ladies and gents. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. For those of us who may not know, what is your podcast all about and what sorts of things have you been or are working on? My podcast specifically, D&D is for Nerds, it's a uh, a uh role it's uh, i don't want to call it DD necessarily but it's certainly something akin to DD. <laughs> uh i sit down with three mates typically joel zamet and jackson bailey plus a an often rotating third and then we go through a uh as i as the dm we go through a a campaign of dungeons and dragons but Often with a few twists along the way. It's never really D&D when especially Jackson is involved. <laughs> He's the sort of person who you give him a bunch of tools and you're like, all right, Jackson, I know what you're, I know what you can do. I know what you can't do. I've seen the toolbox. I know the toolbox better than you. And he is amazing at coming up with, well, Adam, if I take a screwdriver and a hammer and I tape them together like this, did you know I could also do this? And it is very <laughs> frustrating to deal with. I heard somebody once say that that PC doesn't stand for player character. It stands for plot corrupter. And I'm a big fan <laughs> of that oh, idea. And it genius. sounds like Jackson is in that oh. category of player. 
for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. So we've got a surprise question for you from one of our listeners. Yeah, he's a fellow Aussie. His name is Blake Ryan. So there you go. You gotta... oh, I know Blake. All oh, I thought these know each yeah, other. Well, this is a surprise I question. Can't believe he's, I can't believe you guys know him as well. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. He's awesome. His question is, if you win the lottery, what sort of game room would you create? I have seen online a, uh, a picture of someone designed, haven't made, but designed this uh, a D&D &D, &D game table, which it's got a sim similar setup to that of a pool table where you got the bumpers so the dice never fall off the sides. That's nice. Yes, and it's got, you know, like nice felt, so everything, you know, you're not damaging a table or anything like that. You've got that cushion there. You know, for when D&D gets really rough. <laughs> or you're using metal dice, yeah. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely for metal dice. Those will destroy a table. I had to, yeah, I had, I had to buy a roll pad for mine. Oh, that's nice. a good idea, actually, because I've always wanted metal dice, but it, I also like my table. That's a good <laughs> idea. I should get a roll mat. And underneath where everyone sits, there's a little drawer that you can pull out where you can store your character sheets and pens and pencils and everything. I think they said it was like 5000 to get it made. So wow. I, I suppose I'd spend the first 5000 just on that, to be honest. Just on the table. Yeah, that's oh. crazy. It's a, well, I'm winning the lottery, I suppose. That's true. So, so you've got a lot of money to spare. Yeah. I've got another three point something mil or something to spend. Oh, absolutely. The other must, 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 must have is dimmer lights. Because you need a set of moods sometimes. Oh, of course. <laughs> We're going to build it someday. We are. Totally. We'll figure it out. So today, our topic is one that has gotten quite a lot of activity on our forums, has uh, been one that Mitch and I have been talking about for a long time. It's urban campaigns. Doing a campaign entirely in a city, which sort of feels weird for d and I'm not going to lie, because we're used to going into <laughs> dungeons and out in the far wilderness and, you know, those sorts of places. But urban campaigns, playing in a city, Adam, why would we do an urban campaign? Well, really, why wouldn't you? I was jokingly talking earlier about toolboxes and having different tools, but this is basically a toolbox for a DM. You're hampering yourself if you don't at least have the option of city-based adventures, because that's more than just like a single tool in your tool toolbox. That's a, that's a whole plethora of different screwdrivers that you're just ignoring. Cities are great. They're really ripe for a very interesting adventure. And you can do adventures in a city that you just can't do in a wilderness or dungeon setting. Try to imagine a murder mystery in anything other than a city. It's yeah. lesser. Mm -hmm. Urban adventures are great for, uh, great for political intrigue as well. Things like uh, a game, uh, you know, warring diplomats or spies, something interesting like that. And there's a lot of ways that you can play with an urban adventure to make it more like a classic dungeon adventure. So you can get the best of both worlds if you want. You can have your little two warring spies are clashing against each other. You've picked one faction and you don't know what the other faction is doing. But then in the middle of all of that, you could be like, well, here's their headquarters. We need to get something from the basement and you can run that as a dungeon. That, can, that is very easy. Then you could have something like a, a Thieves Guild quest line where you're trying to that, yeah. impress a guild master. Yeah, and you, you're thrown through a, a, like in the the old, you know, the original Dungeons and Dragons movie, you're thrown yeah. through like a series of traps as trials. That, that's, a, that's a fun 
classic sort of adventure. Well, so, who says a wizard's tower has to be located in a wilderness setting? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah. So when when you ask like why why an urban adventure, I I really my response would be why not? It's an amazing place. I love it. To be honest, I got a lot of I got a lot of things to say about urban adventures. <laughs> yeah. So I take it that that your campaign is or most of your campaigns take place in urban adventures. Then I am a massive fan of a city under siege. So yes. I, think, <laughs> I wouldn't say half of my stories, but more than a few of my stories have been um, a city or a small town, a village of any sort has come under siege by an external force and the PCs must come together to overcome that external force while also protecting the town. I, I love it as an adventure. It's great because then you can have, you could have your urban center and then you can have smaller adventures dotted around, which is great for things like, so I did one recently where a blizzard had hit. It's this small settlement out way out in the, you know, near the North Pole almost. A blizzard hits and the PCs are confined to the town, not because of city walls or because of a, a besieging army, but because the nearest next nearest settlement is two weeks away. And to brave that in a blizzard is literally suicide. Yeah, I played it. I played. I don't know how many of you guys have played the the most recent Assassin's Creed game with the twins, Jacob and Evie Fry. But oh, that is yeah, a great yeah, yeah. example of an urban campaign. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a fantastic example. You've got different factions vying for each other. You've got different types of quests that you can do. Some are dungeon crawls. Some are murder mysteries. Some are political intrigue. And it's all set in the city of London. Mm. There are archetypes that, especially in like a 5 East campaign setting, like the thief, like the samurai from from unearthed arcana, there are a couple of different ones that that are really focused on social engagements and intrigue that don't get used in a classic dungeon crawl campaign. And it's a great way, especially for like the thieves with the second story work, in a <laughs> little ability that they have built in there for the rogues that don't mm. really get used unless you're in a big city and you're trying to steal something from a tower. So in my campaign that I'm running right now, I actually uh, we're under siege in the city I made and we're surrounded by an army and the army has started catapulting in all kinds of like terrible things like rocks and flaming things, but also dead cattle. So there's actually disease all throughout the city. And one of our uh, players is very much into like healing the sick and protecting people so they're running around the city trying to teach people how to like just all these different things going on that don't really even have anything to do with fighting just make sure making sure people stay alive in this city i run my brother through a solo campaign every week and he is playing a wizard who is an evil wizard who wants to take over the city and is using plagues and rats and and things of that nature, like you said, to attack the boroughs, to spread panic. It's, it's a fantastic urban adventure because the, the city that he's playing in is the mega city on my planet. It's the size of Michigan is how big the oh, city is. Crazy. So Ooh. it's got things like parks and, you know, all those kinds of things that you've got. So you can go into the forest without ever leaving the city. It's fantastic. But Adam, what, what reasons are there that DMs might not want to run an urban campaign? Well, there are some reasons you might want to stay away from an urban setting. There's tone, largely, because in a city, the 
the tone of your setting can only be so many things. There's a lot of ideas that you can't necessarily explore in a um, an urban setting that a nature or uh, you know something like the Underdark would allow you to do. Um, but I would say primarily, the biggest reason for me at least is isolation. You can never be isolated in a city, especially if it's a large enough city. A lot of cities will just have a guard posted on every street corner, and so. The dynamic of any D&D ch game changes very drastically if your players can call out guards and someone will respond, especially an armed militia. So it can take the wind out of the sails of a lot of different combat encounters. You can't really, unless the fight goes for three or less rounds, you can't really throw a sudden assassin and then expect the PCs to just have to pick up the pieces of the problem that you've thrown them. They could quite easily just run out to a major street and request help. There's also, if you want to run a longer campaign, it's a bit harder because a city is such a contained area. Even if you've got like a, a mega city the size of Michigan, to get from one end of the city to the other end is never going to be, you know, years or months. Yeah, you can't tell as much of a sprawling at-depth campaign. I think one of the most interesting things about a long-running campaign is that the characters age. And if you have aging characters, then you need to worry about, oh, when do they become middle-aged? When do they become vulnerable-aged? And, you know, when will they die of natural causes even. right right yep so uh that sort of if you want to tell a, a longer story like that it's a lot harder because the pcs can get from a to b with a lot of speed you'd have to throw up a lot of obstacles or it has to be a chunky a very meaty game i actually think the hardest part for me about doing an urban campaign is that it just for the dm takes so much more work to build a city than it does to build a dungeon or a forest or a small village because uh, I, I like to know names of like tons of different characters and be able to pull up uh, random encounters with people I've created and when you make a city I I would take me days and maybe even months to come up with names like I would have two warring factions probably I like the idea of like you come in and got caught in the middle between a pseudo mafia and like the police force or like a society of like a religious society and them warring with an assassin's guild or something and you get caught in between and that's the reason that's the campaign in the city but then i would need dozens and dozens of different pcs and their names and backgrounds and what they could do and i personally like to come up with all the inf not all the information but enough information on those things that it just becomes a lot of work Fair enough. I just recently ran a game where basically the idea you're suggesting, that's what we did. I had a bunch of different warring factions. There were some police ones, some mafioso ones, and I had uh, the PCs caught up in this whole scandal and trying to get like a little bit of a MacGuffin to different factions. And I understand that, yeah, that is quite a, a hurdle to have to be like, well, I've got to, I've got to make a living, breathing town. And to be honest, like, I know it does seem very daunting, but gosh, I love doing that. It's a yeah. lot of fun for me. Well, then that's when you give your players a lot of agency. You know, you're like, all right, you want to go to a shop? What's the shop's name? What does it specialize in? 
Who's the shopkeep? You know, what race is he mm. uh, or she? You know, like you give me the details, you tell me what the person does, and then I write that down. And they now have more buy in to the urban campaign because they've actually inserted something that wasn't there before. So what what makes them different, Adam, than a stereotypical D and D campaign? I know, like we said, the stereotypical one is this grand adventure, and we sort mm. of touched on some some instances. I know that most of my urban campaigns tend to be a lot shorter than mm -hmm. some of the grand adventure ones, just because there's this very specific goal in mind. And sometimes with the grand adventure ones, I have a general outline of what I want to do, but I let the players fill in a lot. I, fi I find that with the city, I get far more specific with what the campaign is, with what the goal is. And the, the players usually accomplish it by, you know, 10 or 11, not 15 <laughs> to 17, you know? So yeah. other than that, what makes it, what makes it a little different? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I know why that happens as well, because D&D, &D, as it as it has been created, is set up for, you know, you got your combat encounters, you've got social situations, obviously, but D&D &D is primarily Dungeons and Dragons. That's what it's about. So when you set yourself in a city, the like we said, the travel time and such like that, there's the there's not a lot of like filler you can put with your meat it's got to be just meat unless and this is what i absolutely love you can have this beautiful side of slice of life so your characters live in a city presumably this isn't like traveling you know uh traveling um adventurers like you get in a classic adventure these people because they're in a city they have a house surely they have maybe family they have roots here and what in the most recent adventure I did um, in an urban setting where the mafiosos and the police are warring with each other, I had each of them had families. They had a one character had a wife and two kids, which I let, you know, as you were saying before, I let him name so that he got invested in it. And I went through just an entire, you know, 10, 15 minute conversation with him where we're just like, I role played his wife. He role played himself, obviously. And then we were just like, what are we going to call our kids? Buttons and sweat rock, incidentally. They were orcs. <laughs> okay, well, that Buttons makes sense. And sweat rock. <laughs> Another character, he had a girlfriend. And so I would often be like, I, we did a couple scenes where he comes home to his apartment and his girlfriend's like, hey, I'm out. You know, here's a little note. Here's, uh, you know, some food is in the oven or whatever, yada, yada, yada. And I just, you know, built up his relationship with his girlfriend and that, and that was why I was able to deliver such a, a better story for these players because they get, they can get so much more invested if they're family men, if they have lives here. And that's something that is harder to do in a wandering, sprawling game. You can't really, you can have a family obviously, but you can't, you know, you never have those quiet, tender moments where you're just sitting at home having dinner with your wife and your kids' buttons and sweat rock. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think city adventures do amazingly. They're really, really good at slice of life. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, I was just thinking about this. Another really good example of an urban campaign that hits all those sorts of beats is, and say what you want about the game, it was not that great, but it was a good <laughs> example of an urban campaign was Dragon Age 2, ah, um, yes. where it took place in, and I can't even remember the name of the city, but it was that main city. Sure, he went oh, out into the, the wilderness. The city of chains, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was a city of change. It had a specific yeah. name. I don't yeah. remember what it was. Yeah, but yeah it was like a slaver city, and you know, you got to be a businessman. You got to be like a, a noble royal sort of kind of. There were ventures out into the wilderness to go do certain things, mm-hmm. but then you always came back to the city. You had a house, you had a home, a business to run. You know, all those sorts of things. And like you said, it is a perfect way of setting it up in such a way that even though you're in a city, it doesn't really feel like you're in a city. And you can still do dungeons in a city. Mm-hmm. They're called sewers. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a, a trap I love to throw at my players. I've done it countless times where I'll have them in a sewer and then there's uh, several sets of um, pipes leading into the main sewer that they're in. And once around, so this is a sort of a combat trap. Once around, I roll a six-sided dice and that corresponding number opens up and raw sewerage blasts at high power into the oh, sewer no. itself. So yeah, <laughs> you get the you get the uh, a little bit of damage because you slam them up against the wall and then you get to cover your PCs in sewerage. So hey. Win-win. So we got one more on urban campaigns. What are the advantages of running an urban campaign? Well, uh, I feel like we've touched a little on this one already when I'm saying like slice of life, telling certain types of stories. So uh, I would say, yeah, it's you get more personal with the characters. You get to you get to first off flesh out and explore a city as a character, which I love to do to establish an NPC that is actually a city, a living, breathing city is a lot of fun for me. And I would say. Probably one of my favorite jobs as a DM is to create factions, to create a mayor, a whole like judicial system, if you will, even things like that are very, very interesting to stretch your creative legs as a DM. But you also get to explore characters, the the player characters, and then specific NPCs, which they'll develop just naturally because you're living in the same city. You'll develop a relationship with certain NPCs. That's really great. You get to just really go deep on so many different things about a character. So now, now that we've sort of talked about urban campaigns and what they are, let's talk about that, like actually constructing one. What sorts of things should you be considering when you're building, when you're fleshing out, when you're, when you're making the city for them to play in? I always like to work backwards when I'm doing these sorts of things. So I consider first the story I'd like to tell. So am I, am I doing like a, a monster besets a town, a besieging army besets a town, any sort of like a town under attack, or is it maybe like a, a murder mystery? Is it, you know, just what adventure I want to run first? I maybe do a little bit of the plotting for that, only just like the very bare bones, like one, two, three, four, five ending point, basically, just very simple stuff. Then once I know the the idea for the story, I can I can work backwards and say, well, what sort of city does this allow for? What sort of city both can I run this in and what sort of city would develop this story? So a town besieged by a monster, that's obviously not happening in a sprawling metropolis. No single monster is going to besiege, you know, a uh, a city the size of Michigan, for Unless example. The Tarask, but, oh yeah. well. <laughs> the trust does what it wants. At that, at that point, you're yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're done. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's almost unfair, even for me. I think. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
you can't run some types of stories in some types of cities. So you got to find the right city to tell the story. And then what does this story say about the city? So if you're telling a crime story about mafioso versus an undercover police agent or something, what sort of a city gives birth to a mafia that is at war with the police? What sort of city gives birth to uh, two diplomats from foreign nations come to this third party nation to have a little, you know, a little tussle? What sort of city has so many spies that two spies could encounter each other by happen chance and then decide that they don't like each other? That sort of thing. So once you've got that, you know what sort of city you'd like, to, how big you want the city to be, and what sort of city you know, is going to develop this sort of a story, then you need to work out what that means. So with a city, you need to determine things like an alignment. What, what tendency do these people have to the different alignments? Lawful, chaotic, good, evil, maybe even neutral, right in the middle. Maybe the city, maybe the vast majority of the people in this city are true neutral and are only interested in something if it affects them. What sort of city does that make? How do you go about creating different environments within your city, like the different boroughs or areas that are richer, poor, more urban, less urban, parks within the city? How, how do you go about making all of those and giving them di a different feel? Well, I work a lot with the world map when I'm designing a city as well. So it's good to know where everything nearby is. So say, for example, um, if you know that there's a, a lot of halfling nomadic tribes that live nearby to your city, perhaps you'll create a, a small borough and then name that after maybe some sort of halfling word or something like that. And then say that perhaps this is just where those nomadic tribes, if they're ever in the city, this is their you know ethnic center, something like that. Uh, you also need to work out things like how rich the city is. So if it's a very wealthy city, they will inevitably become uh, a nice section of town and a not so nice section of town. And so the richer the city, the more obvious this is going to be. In an average city, that might be um, like a single room house for the not so well to do. And then a, perhaps a double story multi room house for some of the wealthy people. But you can get just absolutely crazy with this if you wanted to and i've done this before you could set a set aside an entire section of the city to just mansions for the very rich and wealthy have that as a separate walled off section like a a gated community if you will with its own town guard with its own rules and laws you need to understand primarily i would say how rich your city is and what geographically is nearby and how that would affect the city well, yeah, because you're not necessarily like if you have parks and you build, you know, those sorts of things into your city, you're not necessarily going to have evergreens down in the jungle. Yes. Uh, it'll also affect trade in the city, depending on where you are and, and what foods <laughs> and, and beverages of choice are rare. Those ideas, you know, and it's also going to, you know, if the city's up against a mountain range, they might be rich in ore, but poor in wood, you know, so you've got those sorts of ideas that are going to drive the identity like you said you're creating an npc that are going to drive the identity of the city itself it helps them not all look the same creating different environments within the city like as like you said terrain geography all that stuff sort of all factors in i agree 100 it's 
Uh, it's very fun to think of the different things that could affect your city and how that would affect and what cascading effects that has. So something never just has one effect. Like you were saying, if you're high in ore, low in, low in wood or whatever, that means that you're constructing your city obviously out of stone. But then that means so much more. A city constructed out of stone is obviously a lot more impregnable. So that means that the people can live in a lot more relative safety, which means that they can afford to be a bit more, um, you know, their economy can afford to be a bit more robust because they don't need to worry about shutting everything down if we're attacked. But then that also means that you need a decent town guard to be able to defend those walls. It's, it just keeps spiraling out and you're, you're never going to be short on ideas of how to build this city. Well, that and your paper is going to be expensive. Any sort of wood product is going to be astronomical and there's really not yeah. going to be any new building or expansion. So how do you handle that? Because stone and cut stone, especially even if you're rich in ore is going to be pricey. What are your favorite elements to sort of put in an urban campaign setting? I'm going to throw three words at you. Massive sewer network. There you go. <laughs> I like to use six different ports. You roll a d6. I, oh, and the in, encounters should take place in a line. Ideally, you want the enemies to have ranged weapons to entice the PCs closer. Uh, you roll a d6, and then whatever whatever number that comes up is, that's the that's the port that shoots out at them. You throw it. There's no actual damage from the surge itself. It's they get blasted up against the wall. So the closer they were or the further they were from the the wall is how much damage they take i think it's a a d6 per 10 feet when you're falling and i like to use that damage so then you hey. can have a really wide sewer if you want for a lot of damage or a short <laughs> one for not so much and an undercity is is probably one of my favorite things to incorporate into a campaign um, mm. catacombs things of that nature that way you can incorporate a dungeon crawl and never leave the city absolutely I think my favorite thing to put into cities is probably skyscrapers and like really, really big buildings held up by magic so that a lot of times you don't a lot of times get to do a campaign where you're going up and up through something unless you're in a mountain or a wizard's tower. I like the idea of different elevations in your campaign, like somebody could throw you out a window and now how the heck do you get back up to help your friends fight? Or do you survive? Or do you survive? Five foot... Shove one direction or another can be for death. The last thing we're going to do is I came up with a couple story hooks. I know Ian came up with a couple story hooks, but what kind of ideas do we have for campaigns that are centered around the idea of an urban campaign? Like in an urban campaign, how do you get your players involved? How do you get them into the story you're trying to tell? Well, I've, I've said my favorite, my favorite type of uh, urban adventure is a city besieged. Yeah. So, uh, to have like a, a monster crawling at the city walls is just really fun to do. To have your PCs trapped in there, looking out, just peering over the city walls, being like, how are we going to do this? What on earth can we do against this, this uh, creature while we have to protect people and keep them fed, keep them watered, all these different things? But also, I, I rather like a murder mystery. So you could have your PCs as members of the town guard and then have a like a big, long, difficult uh, investigation. 
so murder mysteries just a quick uh, tip if you're going to use that story story hook i like the really like the idea of if someone tries to cast speak with dead or anything like that the body sits bolt upright and just screams for the duration of the spell however you want to play with that that's very interesting yeah well they're speaking sort of <laughs> yeah <laughs> reliving the final moment in a manner so my favorite story hooks are always almost almost always cliches and i'm a big fan of using the trope of like a, a kidnapping and also a damsel in distress but somebody someone's child a princess somebody gets kidnapped maybe in front of you maybe your adventurers that people know of already so they want to hire you to go find this and there's some society that kidnaps somebody and is holding them ransom and you have to go through the city investigating meeting with other people and trying to figure out where this person's being held maybe you have to figure out why they were kidnapped and a way either to break in and get them back or maybe there's a twist to it and they weren't actually kidnapped they just left because their parents or the whatever faction or group that the princess the girl or child, whoever's kidnapped is from, is actually the evil group and they're trying to escape and join the other group. And they hired you under false pretenses to go get them back. That's great. So before we say farewell to Adam, we want to, uh, we post some, we pose this question to our Patreon dragons and I picked three of the best ones that I found on how to manage an urban campaign. And when we pitched them this episode, these were some of the questions that were asked. The first one comes from DM Exidium and he says, how do you mediate a suspenseful urban chase scene? And what are the strategies for keeping it fast paced and engaging? You've got to get obstacles. The, yes. the classic yeah. tropes of like, you know, bowling over some boxes or crashing through a fruit cart. You got to keep it interesting by, well, the city is breathing. The city is alive. No city street is going to be deserted unless it's, you know, like 3 a.m. at night. Uh, and even then, that's a ripe opportunity for that assassin to strike without worrying about the town guards. You know, there's yeah. always something that you can <laughs> use to keep it interesting. Overturned and, apple uh, carts, uh, yeah, rolling yeah. barrels, depending on where you're at, falling crates and things from the ceiling. You know, there's all sorts of th making yeah. people like make constitution checks to keep running even after sprinting for so long to keep, keep their endurance up could help that the odd stone that nobody mm -hmm. sees, you know, making a perception check while running, which I would make you roll a disadvantage because you're running, you know, and then you trip. <laughs> what are you going to do now? Yeah. I mean, so there are tons of things that you can do to keep yeah. people incorporated. We'll throw this one at you too, Adam, because uh, you, Hit me with you love factions. Uh, this one comes from Frotastic. He asks, how do you incorporate different factions without being too railroady? I think that if you incorporate the factions organically enough, you shouldn't need to railroad them. The PC, PC should just naturally encounter them, or at the very least, a good way to do it. And once again, this should be just a natural thing for the most part, is just rumors that they overhear in taverns if the pcs are in a tavern getting drunk and let's face it that is a common occurrence maybe they overhear some people talking about oh um did you hear the weavers guild is having a trade spat with the um reed guild or something like that there's a lot of different ways that they can naturally just hear about the factions 
And that's a very good jumping point. For the last question, it comes from DM Sam. And I think this is a great question. I think we've sort of answered it, but I'd like to answer it more in, in depth. What are the core ingredients or elements of creating a believable cityscape? When most people think of a city, they think of the that everything is available in a role-playing game that is unrealistic from a design standpoint, and I would add from a realistic standpoint. What are some of the things that a DM should focus on creating? In 3.5, I think 5th Ed does this as well, but they give you like a, for a town, they say, oh, here's what the gold limit of the town is. So how much just, how much gold coins the town has in total to spend on anything. And then here's the the limit for a single, a single like purchase. So the easy ways to limit what your PCs can and can't have access to just through a money aspect, if nothing else. But I think if you're operating cities that are unfriendly or low on magic, that's another way to to do it. So there's maybe only one wizard in the entire town who can supply you with magical items. And that wizard just doesn't have a certain item in stock. That's very easy and very realistic. Yeah, to do. So Adam, I want to thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with us. And uh, is there a way for our listeners to get in touch with you if they have additional questions for you about urban campaigns or about your podcast? Uh, well, I find screaming to the wind is typically the best way to contact me. <laughs> but uh, yes. if that doesn't work out for you, you can also get in touch with me uh, at Retro Archetype on Twitter. You can find my uh, the podcast that we that I work on, D&D is for Nerds. You can just search it in iTunes or wherever good podcasts can be found. And the company I work for, Sans Pants Radio, you can find their Twitter just at Sans Pants Radio. We also have Instagram. But yeah, those would be the best ways to find us. Well, thank you again, Adam, so much. We really appreciate you being on, and we hope to have you back some point. I hope to be back some point. Thank you again. But they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Welcome back, listeners. DM John here with the Mailbag of Holding, where we talk about the stories, questions, and ideas from you, the listener. Today I've got an email from DMKiltBoy85. He wrote us an email talking about the creation of dragons and dragonborn and kobolds and all kinds of stuff in his world of, I don't want to pronounce this wrong, Etar, I think. Spelled E-I-T-A-R-E. And he writes to us, The point of this email wasn't to shower you with praise, but present you with how I plan to introduce not only dragonborn, but all of dragonkind. Dang, I like the ones where they shower us with praise. So drakes, dragons, wyverns, kobolds, and dragonborn have not yet existed in any of the plain old worlds of Etar. Well, in the first major campaign in this world, I begin the adventurers with typical rat catcher styles of hooks and adventure. Well around 6th or 7th level, now known as heroes to the ruling council of Laersi, the council asked them to investigate recent and mysterious influxes of planar energy and magical mishaps related to the elemental planes. Well, at the source of these issues is a colossal storm of colliding elemental and arcane energies, which is an anomaly. I would hope so. Within the eye of the storm are forming two godlike entities, Chromacil and Metarix, and it says they are his versions of Tiamat and Bahamut which is pretty cool. A byproduct of this occurrence 
are the dragonkin and he goes on to talk about all the different types of dragons and stuff being born into his world through this event and then he says after this point in the timeline of his world both dragonborn and kobolds are playable pc races but their societies will be different based off of the treatment by other humanoid races all right well i think that sounds really cool i love all kinds of different creation myths and anything having to do with dragons really I mean, he left out some wizards, but I guess that wasn't really the point of this email. I like the idea of the formation of these gods happening at the same time as the formation of all these different races of dragon kind. Like, it all happened at once. It's also a really cool idea to play through a creation myth, I think. Like, to have your PCs be there for the creation of these dragons, and then maybe if you play other campaigns later in a timeline of a world, you can talk about these great heroes that were there during the creation of the dragons the rise of the dragons It'd be pretty awesome yeah I like this a lot thanks again DM killboy 85 for writing in thanks for listening I've got a couple of shout outs Robert Colby he's a fearsome silver dragon thank you Robert for being such a Active Patreon member. Thank you for being a Silver Dragon. If you like this, you should check out our other shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. Until next time, DM John signing off. My roommate is copying me because he can hear me from the other room. If they, if you hear that in the background, he's not, he's not as cool as he thinks he is. He's not as cool as he thinks he is. I'm DM John. Until next time, Space Cowboy. Yeah, I like that one. Or just, we go with just, until next time, partner. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. No, no. Goodbye.